of Exodus. We have been in Exodus for a little bit now. And uh, again, our, we, as we've studied this book of the Bible, um, the, 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 the theme of it has been, um, and you've seen that in your, in your bulletin each week, that we're calling it, um, what are we calling it? Rescued and Kept. And this idea of, you know, we think about Exodus, we might just have this very narrow view of just, yeah, that's, that's the book where God's people got out, of, got out of Egypt and they were rescued. But then as you keep reading, as you, you, know, you, you hear the covenants and the promises and the law and the ceremonies and, and, and these instructions for how to worship, and you realize that it's not just that they were rescued, but He's keeping them. He's giving them instructions for how do you live with me? How do you live in this covenant as you go forward into the wilderness, as you go forward eventually into the promised land? And um, sometimes the evangel- evangelical church, we do a good job of talking about how to be rescued about faith and conversion, but not maybe not enough about being kept. That we have a God who brings us into the fold, but a God who keeps us in the fold. A God who goes after the lost sheep, but then continues to be the good shepherd of the sheep. And we've, I hope you've seen that, even as we've looked at this book of Exodus, that we have a God who rescues and keeps and guards until when? Till, till the end. So we're coming to the end of the uh, instructions for uh, the tabernacle. Uh, some of you, if you're just new, is like, oh, I hate I missed that. Uh, but, it, you know, as you read these instructions, you know, uh, most guys in here, we like to skip the instructions and try to build the thing ourselves. There was no room for that uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for the people of, of Israel. Uh, they, there were very specific instructions uh, of how to do that. And that really was a good thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't bad. Uh, but it was to what? To show that God is holy and righteous and He has a, a plan. And there's a specific way that he wants, uh, he wants His people to see Him. And there's a specific way in which He can draw near to them. And a specific way in which His people can draw near to Him. Um, again, I saw an example of of how good it is to have clear instructions. Uh, thank you, Vince and Bruce, for hanging up those blinds in there. At one point, it was like, these instructions aren't good. And I was going, yeah, God didn't write those. Anyway, um, but uh, they figured it out. So thank you for that. Anyway, um, let's read. Uh, I'm not going to give you any setup. We're going to read this. And uh, this is uh, Exodus 30. This is, again, the, the conclusion of all the parts and all the things that are needed for uh, the, the tabernacle. Before I read, let's pray yet again. Lord God, this is your word and we thank you that you inspired Moses, that you were at work, Holy Spirit, as he, as he wrote these words thousands and thousands of years ago and then through just your, your grace and your mercy and your sovereign care, the, the word of God has been kept and has passed on from generation to generation and um, we thank you that we here have um, uh, an accurate um, um, copy of, of your word, Lord, and that has been translated with, uh, by people that, are, that uh, have studied and, and know your word well, Lord. We thank you, and we pray now that we would hear it 
and that you would give us, uh, by the power of that same Spirit that, that, that uh, inspired it, that you would illuminate your Word and help us to hear it and apply it. Help me to accurately and um, to, to, to preach it and to explain it. And we just thank you that we go into this, again, not on our own, but with your help, as, 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 this, as we do with everything. And so we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 30. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense, and you shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth, and it shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, and its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of the gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them. And it shall be holders for poles on which to carry it. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it. In the year throughout your generations, it is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras. Half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and a sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of 
acacia according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lamp and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, a stacti, and onyka, and galbanum. Sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you and the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. Well, um, the 90s, the 1990s, were a great, wonderful time to grow up. We had vanilla ice. We had the Reebok pump. Y'all remember the pumps? That was cool. Gotta have some, I had some. Um, we had ripped jeans. We still have those now, but that's when it started, basically. And, uh, and of course, we had bowls of potpourri in every living room. For those of you who don't remember the 90s, I'm sorry, but there were dried bark, pine cones, flowers in bowls everywhere. Uh, the 90s smelled like cinnamon. That's the, probably the best part. So when I read, when I read this, um, I thought about potpourri. I thought about... Just, you know, in the living room especially, there was always a bowl of something that if you weren't careful, you might put in your mouth. You thought, this must be a bowl of candy. No, it's, it's the opposite of candy if you ever put some in your mouth. But it smelled really good. This passage begins and ends with incense, something that smells good. There's even cinnamon in it, right? There's even Glade potpourri spray. It was, anyway, go on, anyway look it up. Anyway. Um, but also, potpourri has a different meaning. Uh, I thought about um, potpourri can just mean a miscellaneous collection of things. And that's what also, when I read this, I was like, oh, this will be fun. Okay. <laughs> how am I going to, you know, how does all this go together? Uh, you might remember, like, there was a category in Jeopardy called potpourri, and it was just the category where nothing connected, right? It was just, I don't know, some answers, and you come up with the questions, nothing connects. And so here we have, in this text, we have good smelling stuff, right? <laughs> Potpourri, but also just a lot of different things. We have 
We, you know, as we've looked through Exodus, we've seen he started out with what goes in the tabernacle, what's in the Holy of Holies, and what's in the, in the, in the holy place, and what's in that. It's been some order, but now we have the golden altar of incense that goes in the holy place. And then we go back out to the, to the, the bronze basin, which is in between the, the altar, uh, the, the offering altar for the burnt offerings and the, and the entrance to the tabernacle. Then we have um, a recipe uh, for, for, you know, how to make the oil and how to make the incense. And then in the middle of that, we have a, a collection, a sanctuary uh, offering or sanctuary ransom. Okay. What's going on? Um, well, here's what I want to do. I, there's nothing new here. There's nothing really new to what we've heard so far, the, the main lessons, the main takeaways. But if one commentator put it this way, you know, it, there's got to be a reason for putting these things where they are. And if, we look, if you skip ahead, like I've told you, that we're, we're not going to look at... Uh, there's some passages we're not going to look at it because it's really just repetition of what we've just read. This is God giving instruction to Moses. And then there are a number of chapters that then record the execution of those instructions. And when you look at the, as they actually build and make these things, the altar, the golden altar of incense is grouped with the other furniture that goes inside the holy place. That as they build it, it makes more sense. So... There's got to be a reason for these things being here um, at the end. It can't just be random. You know, God doesn't go, yeah, oh yeah, and I forgot this. Let me add that part. You know, I do that. You know, we'll talk about something, we'll change subject, and I go, oh, let's go back to that other thing. Ask the staff and staff meeting. I do it all the time. You know, my, my brain isn't linear all the time. But this, God doesn't work that way. God has a purpose for everything He does. And one commentator, I think, really hit the nail on the head. As you look at this, all these passages from 25 to where we are now, chapter 25 to now, represents uh, how we come near to God. But specifically, 25 through 27 represent, and the furnishings we see, represent how the Lord is drawing near to His people. But here, in chapter 30, we see... How we draw near to God. And I think that's, that's I think that's a good way to think about it. And I'm gonna we're gonna look at each one of these things um, and, and see that. What's being pictured here is reminding the priest, reminding the people of God um, by what means they draw near to God. God has drawn near to them. He has made a, a copy of his throne room and he says, I'm going to live in a tent with my people as they sojourn. I'm drawing near, near to you. I'm communicating who I am in, in the glory of the furnishings and in the, in the, in the construction of the tabernacle and, and, I may, and, 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 the, and that I will you know, provide for atonement for, for your sins. But now we're seeing the picture of how the priests representing God's people, what they must do to draw near to God. And we see that here in these furnishings and in these in the tax and uh, the offering before us. So there's 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 three things I want us to look at as we think through this draw the priests and God's people drawing near to Him. First, there's washing and anointing is needed. Second, we see a census ransom collected, and then thirdly, uh, smoke and prayers raised. 
Uh, washing and anointed, anointing needed, senses, a census ransom collected, and smoke and prayers raised. Uh, so first, uh, this washing and anointing. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skipping around here in the text to group some things together. But we see after all that's been done, after... The, the washing of these men, we saw their, uh, the, the consecration process, they're being, in a sense, ordained for the, for the role of priests. They were washed and their, and their clothing was, was anointed and the, and, the, and the blood of the sacrifices of consecration were, was put and sprinkled on them. That still we go back and say, you, priest, every time you draw near to the tent, still have to wash there was a basin, there was a water basin made here, we just described, of bronze. And we see this in verses 17 through 21. That was to be built and it would be put between the altar where the burnt offering and the sin offering and the peace offering were, were burned and, and, and the, 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 the veil into the holy place. So even though all that has been done, all that this consecrating, the three sacrifices a day for seven days, they still had to wash their hands and wash their feet. And the practical reason was like, well, their feet and hands were probably very bloody. All right? There's a practical sense of like why I did ask that question to our faith conversations group that meets before, the, before church. And they, you know, there's a very practical sense. There's, there's a bloody uh, a bloody job. There's a lot of sacrifice. A lot of a lot of blood was shed. Lambs and goats and bulls daily. But as they drew near, especially the their 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 daily uh, practice of of lighting the lamps and lighting the incense, they did it morning and evening before they entered into that holy place. They had to wash. But I'm convinced it wasn't just it wasn't just to to wash their hands and get the blood off. But it was to remind them that. God has, God has set them apart, but they are still not clean. In and of themselves, these priests are not clean. They, they, they wear the robes. They, they, they wear, they're adorned in, 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 in these glorious, and especially Aaron and the high priest, this glorious uniform, if you will, these priestly garments that... That with jewels and gold and they represent God's people but, but those, that daily practice of having to anytime I go into that place where God symbolically dwells with us I have to wash my hands and wash my feet this is holy ground I continue needing to be purified and made clean and this goes along with this Anointing oil. It's interesting as you read this recipe. I'm not going to go through it. We're not going to talk about how to make it. It actually tells us not to do that. But, but, but that even the oil. You know, like when you first read, they were anointed with oil. You might thought, oh, well, they just got some good olive oil and poured it. But this was an oil that was set apart and distinct it, it, only if you made this it could only be used for this one thing if you put those those ingredients into oil and 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 made it as a perfumer not just kind of a uh, you know uh, somebody who did it as a hobby but a professional person had to make this just like you know someone highly skilled had to weave the the curtains for the tabernacle this perfume and then the, the incense had to be expertly made and 
And if you used this recipe, if you used these instructions, it could only be used for this. And it, God was so serious about this that if you use it for anything else, you would die. And why? As we look at this anointing oil that went upon the priests and they're washing, the lesson, the takeaway is only that these, these men were set apart for a holy use and only God can make someone holy. Only God could sanctify and set someone else apart. So if you use the oil that symbolized God's anointing, God's setting apart, and you did that on your own, you're taking the place of God. It's blasphemy. Exactly. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, and so, and so it, only God can make someone holy and acceptable. The oil wasn't just put on the priest, but on all the furnishings as well. Even though they were the highest quality, golden, beautiful to behold, unless God anointed them, as God set them apart, they were still just ordinary in His eyes. So these furnishings are holy because God's symbolic way anointed them, washed them, cleansed them with this, this, this sweet, beautifully smelling uh, anointing oil. God, only God can set these furnishings, the tabernacle, the priests apart, and these priests need daily to still be purified. This is only something God can do. Imagine if the people used this oil for everything. Imagine if the priest didn't have to wash. What might they start thinking? I, I, you know, I think uh, just like just like us. What what happens when we start to think that? Um, you know, I'm done. I'm I'm a fully formed person. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in church. I, you know, I've walked the aisle. I've been baptized. You know, what else do I need? We start, it's pride. It's hubris. It's look at me. Look how good I am. We start taking credit for God's work. And so, there's a special oil that can only be used for God's purpose. And these people that receive this consecration still need atonement and washing. All the time. Purification is needed. This was, yeah, it was practical. Kept blood from getting on the, the nice stuff in the tabernacle. But it reminded them, I, I'm a sinner. And it's by God's grace and by His doing that I am set apart and sanctified and can approach Him. Only He can do that. It was a humbling Act for them to wash before they enter in. Washing and anointed is still needed, and only and, can, and we can only be made clean, only be set apart by God. Here's the second thing we see. I want us to look at the census ransom. It's interesting. It's called a ransom, and it's called an offering. And and why? Why was this? put here. Well, we, we can see it served a very practical purpose, right? We had an offering 
We do this each and every Sunday. We don't pass the plate, but it's right there over Alan's shoulder there at the back. There's an offering plate. And we pray. We thank God for the offering. Uh, but there is to be a, 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 a census, a tax. Again, the deacons are going, hmm. Anyway, no, that's not... Uh, uh, they're doing it. What's half a shekel? Let me see what that is. Anyway, um, but... But there had to be a, a collection, and it says what? For the, for the tent of meeting, for construction. A shekel would have been made of, of silver, and we know that there, there are parts of the, of the tabernacle that were made of silver. I'm not going to go into the detail of that, but some of the rings on the outside, there was silver. And uh, so it was used for that. Maybe the, to, to purchase other things that were needed, like for, for the bread and for things like that. I, I, but it was, it was a practical thing. You know, it takes money. It takes money to for the ministries of the church. It takes money to uh, to to support uh, to support pastors and to support uh, you know uh, you know youth ministry and children's ministry to to keep this uh, cooled in the summertime and to keep the lights on. It takes you know. So there's this practical thing. Yeah, there should be an offering. But it, but it, it but the weird thing is it calls it a ransom. And, and, then, and then the other weird thing is that when we think about a census, if, you think, if you've read the scriptures, especially the life of David, you realize that was a bad thing to do. Um, if you go back to, to uh, go, go forward a little bit in your Bibles to, um, to 2 Samuel 24, you'll read that one of David's... You know, he, he messed up with Bathsheba. I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> messed up big. Adultery, murder. But then the, the other big thing he did that was a no-no was he, he said, I want a census. I want to count all the fighting men of Israel. And as a result, there was uh, three days of plague that came upon Israel because he did this. So when we put this together, we look at that. What happens when a census is taken and there is no ransom, there is no payment, there's a plague. What does God say? If you don't, if you don't pay the ransom, they'll, it, there's, there's, there's consequences. So what, what was the purpose? And I, I honestly looked and some commentators said, we just don't know. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, well, I guess I could just say that. It's okay to say I don't know, by the way. I just don't, you know. But I started thinking again. There's, there's got to be a purpose. There, there's, there's got to be some reason this is here, this spot. But we know that he, he's do what he's doing is he's counting the men who can fight. He's counting. It usually even uses a word that can be translated as mustering, like mustering the troops. I'm counting how many twenty and over, and, and these are the ones that have to give their money. These would also be the ones that, when they mobilize to fight, that, that's who would step up. Those twenty and over. These men would fight. Only those men in fighting age had to give this money. So there's a connection here that's similar to what David did. But why does a ransom have to be paid? Well, one commentator, Peter Inn, said this. He says, the money that's given, not only does it help pay for the tabernacle, is a reminder to the Israelites that atonement has been made for their lives. That these men, who are old enough, strong enough, 
able enough to fight have to be reminded that my strength is not in myself. And that as a people, their strength is not in their numbers. That was the sin of David. He got a big head. And look how great a king I am. Look at my forces. Look at me. Let's count them and count them off. You know, it's like a rich person showing off their cars, you know, or whatever. Look at what I've accumulated. Look at what I've done. He goes, no, no, no. When you need to take a census, when you need to assess where you are, they've got to pay a ransom. The strength of Israel is not innate in Israel, in the, in the men, in the leaders of that community. The strength is what is in the Lord. Peter Inns goes on to say that the human tendency or penchant for assessing self-worth is something God will tax for the good of the tabernacle and as a prodding reminder to the people of who really has worth. And it's to be remembrance. So every time the men drew near with their sacrifices and saw the silver of the tabernacle, they were reminded, my strength is not in me, my strength is in the Lord. He has put me here. He has given me the ability to stand and fight and to follow Him. He has, he has done this and apart from His mercy and grace and the and atonement, I could not stand. Yahweh is the one who provided soldiers who can fight, but more than that, it's Yahweh Himself that is their strength, their hope, and their peace. Again, just like for the priest, why do I have to wash so that pride and hubris wouldn't set in? Why did the census tax have to be taken? Why was it called a ransom? So that you would know, so that the men would know, that the strong and fighting men would be reminded, no, it's not in my, in my strength that I serve. It's not in my strength that I fight. It's, in, I've been, it's because I stand because God has made a way for me to come to Him. And to live in community with him. Note also that the shekel, the taxes, the offering, the sacrifice is the same for every man, no matter what they had. There was no privileged class in God's sight. All men, wealthy or poor, all needed atonement, and it was all equal. We're all equal in his sight. We have this, this washing, anointing that was needed. Only God can set people apart for His purpose. Again, as, as they go forward to, into, the, into the wilderness, and not only the priests, but the men of, the, of, of Israel needed to be reminded, know that their strength is not in themselves, but in the Lord. And they gave this, this ransom, this atoning sacrifice, this atoning offering that would help them remember this as they gazed and looked upon the tabernacle. And finally, I want us to consider that, that, that because of God's grace, that not only could 
Could the priests draw near? Could God's, the, the men of Israel go forward in, in, in service of the Lord by His grace and by His means? But also the prayers of Israel could come up, can come to God through His um, sanctifying them and making them acceptable to Him. The smoke and prayers are raised. We have finally. I want to look at this altar of incense again. We we go from uh, we finish up the construction of the tabernacle, and we come back to this this very important piece of furniture that was the third piece of furniture in the holy place. There was the the the, the table which held the bread. There was the lampstand, but right in front of the veil to the holy of holies was this golden altar of incense. And, uh, and again, it's similar in construction. It's much smaller than the altar, the bronze altar outside in the tabernacle that was outside in the courtyard that was used to, to bring the burnt offerings. It, it was to burn this very specific um, incense with a very specific recipe, just like the anointing oil. And it was to be kept burning day and night. And you notice that, that we have this kind of... Um, Kind of full circle, if you will, as you as we looked at the the priest and their and their and their clothing and them being set apart for service. That it started with, oh, by the way, the priests are to keep the lamps lit. And then we talk about the priest. He talks about them being set apart and what they do and 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 what they do on behalf of Israel. And then we end this section with also the 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 daily. Uh, practice and habits uh, duties of the priests. Not only are they to keep the lamps trimmed and have oil added so that the, the, the light of the lamp burns day and night, also they are to add incense to the, to the altar of incense in the morning and night when they also add oil to the lamps. And again, what could this mean? What could it mean? Again, one practical thought is, you know what? Slaughtering animals and Burning them can be a smelly business. <laughs> and it just made, just like your parents' living room or your living room in the 90s, it just made it smell nice. But again, we go back to, this was serious business. There was a, this, this incense was, can only be used here. You couldn't put it in your living room of your tent. That was kind of a joke in there anyway. But you couldn't have it at the entrance to your tent at home when you walked in. Oh, that smells nice. Oh, no. You know, if you did, if you used this recipe... You know, you're cast out. But here's this special incense aroma that constantly went up before this veil that went up and filled that room and probably entered into, as it went through the veil, into that throne room of grace there at the, at the, at the ark. And, and, and why? Well, let's, if, you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 1 and, look, and, and be reminded of the story of uh, Zacharias, the, the, the father of, of John. And he was a priest in the temple. And, and if you look at that 1, verses 8 through 11, it, as he was in there burning, he was there to burn the incense. He was doing these duties as a priest, to trimming the lamp, burning the incense. And, you know, and that's when the, the, the angel appeared uh, just by the altar... And he, you know, was told of of the coming of, of you know the birth of his son to his his wife Elizabeth, and and but when he came out, it says there were there were people were 
uh, were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. And so we, we look at that, this, must, this was probably very well a custom, that when the priest went in to light the lamps and when he went to add the incense, that people, this was a time of prayer outside. If you go to Revelation 8, 3 through 4, it says this, as we're having this vision, these, these visions of not the tabernacle, not, but, but of, of the heavenly realm. It says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints went before God out of the angel's hand. And then if you turn to Psalm 141, um, Psalm 141, 1-2, it says, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. With all that said, with all this, you know, looking at these other passages, I'm convinced that, that, that this rising smoke from this altar represented the prayers of God's people coming before Him. And through this, His setting apart, through this holy incense, on this holy altar, even not just the priests, not even the, the men who, who were the strength, who were seen as being the strength of the nation, but, but the very prayers of His people came near to God. That even the prayers needed to be set apart and purified by God. But here's the good news. They were. That the, the Israelite had confidence that, that through this symbol of anointing and the symbol of washing, one of them could draw near. That the, the, the men of Israel, through this offering, through this ransom that was paid, they knew that they could live and fight in the name of the Lord. And that they were set apart as His people. And that as the priests went in to offer this incense, the people outside knew that God is making a way for their prayers to enter in behind the veil. Not even behind the veil symbolically, but up into heaven itself. And be heard because God has sanctified not only them but their very requests. Again, where we always land. <laughs> this is still true for us, but not in the same way, in a better way. In a better way. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a symbol of atonement. It's not a symbol of ransom. But the ransom has been paid not with half a shekel, but with the blood of Jesus. You and I. We've been bought back. We've been redeemed from death and hell. Our strength is in the Lord. He has 
He has brought us to Himself. We're part of, we're His people, part of His household, part of His body, being built up into His holy temple. He has made a way for us. We've been set apart, not by washing with water, but anointed by the Spirit. A better anointing, sweeter than this sweet-smelling aroma and this oil of, uh, that was put upon the priest. More precious, more valuable, more holy. And we've been set apart, anointed with the Spirit, to draw near. And we have Jesus Christ, the great High Priest, who makes our prayers heard, that through His merit... Through His, through our being united to Him, being made holy in Him, our prayers enter into the throne room of grace. We are His people set apart and He hears us when we cry out to Him. Draw near to the Lord. That's, that's what this is. This passage is about you are invited to draw near. He has made a way. That was the picture given to the Israelites. That's the picture. That's the the better picture. The reality. Again, the symbolic has given way to the real because Christ has come. Do you ever think, why would He listen to me? Can I even walk in the doors of a church and pretend to be one of His people? Do I, you're so overwhelmed by your sin and your guilt and your frustration and your shame. He has made the way through a better incense, through a better oil, through a better ransom, <laughs> through a better atonement, through Jesus Christ. He has drawn near to us. He has come. He has made, he has lived a life we couldn't live and died the death we deserve. And now he makes a way for us to draw near to him. Draw near to him. Know that he has set your, you apart, that your prayers, that your service is, can be acceptable to him because you, he has made you holy by his atoning sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I invite you to come now to the table. The table, again, this is a, a sign, a seal, a symbol. God's at work in it. It's a means of grace to us. But this meal doesn't make you set apart. It reminds you that your ransom's been paid. That you have been made holy through through Christ, through your union with Him, that you are made clean, that He has washed you with His blood, and you are anointed with His Spirit. Come take this meal and be reminded of those things, that, that, that the way unto God has been made available to you, even as a sinner, but also be reminded that you, you are a sinner, and that you need cleansing, you need atonement. But Christ has provided it. If you have trust in Him and He is, and you know that He is your righteousness, you know that by His merits you could come near, you know that by, through His blood you have been atoned and you were made clean, then come and partake and have joy and peace and hope in Him. Let's pray. Lord God.
We thank you for these common elements that you have set aside for this holy use. May they encourage our hearts. And may we be reminded just what you have done uh, to, to not only draw near to us, but to make a way for us to draw near to you. May we do that. May we not take that for granted. May we realize that these things here that pointed to that reality have come true in you, Lord Jesus. May we draw near to you now in this meal. Draw near to you in prayer and the reading of your word. Knowing that, no, we do not merit it. There's no pride. There's no boasting. But you have made the way. So thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.